we continue our studies in Ecclesiastes. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to that book in your Old Testaments, uh, we'll be talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tonight as uh, we get into our studies. And I want to remind you to tune in tomorrow for live Bible Q&A every Wednesday at noon. If you have a question for the Q&A, uh, just email us at uh, questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. And uh, we can put your question in with the lineup. And so uh, if you have any questions, please email us. Or you can also go to our Facebook page uh, or YouTube channel, as you're probably watching this evening, and uh, comment in the chat section as well. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. I want to remind you also, every day, beginning as early as 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, we offer the Daily Answer podcast. And that's with our own Mark Dunnigan. And uh, we talked a few moments ago about Pronto Pups. He did a whole show on that a while back. So uh, go back and uh, you'll find uh, some inspirational uh, messages from Mark every morning to start your day and uh, to make a spiritual connection as well. And so listen to the Daily Answer podcast every weekday. That's Monday through Friday, beginning as early as 5 a.m. And then after these shows, like tonight's show, as well as the Q&A show on Wednesday, shortly thereafter, it will be in a podcast form. So you can always go back and listen to us uh, while you're driving around and listen to your podcasting around the house. If you don't have time to sit down and uh, watch a video, uh, you can listen to and uh, get a refresher on the topics that we've had in the past. And so stay tuned after the show, if you will, tonight. And we're going to remind you about some other programs going on throughout the week. But tonight we're going to be talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 8, entitled History Got It Wrong. So uh, it's good to be uh, with you gentlemen tonight. And uh, how's everyone doing? Doing fantastic. Doing great, Chris. Great. We got Mark Gibson back with us. Mark Dunnigan, and of course, Terry Benton. Uh, Bella's, Bella's doing good tonight. Bella's snoring over here. Uh, uh, is that the white, uh, that, white that's thing the, back there? Yeah, that's the white thing back there. I got a text from Cindy a while back that said, there's a serious whistling sound in the office. And I'm going like, oh, no, the air conditioning system is going out. There's an $8,000 bill, and it was Bella snoring. So oh. don't, <laughs> don't jump to conclusions. It's It's not always the worst case scenario, you guys. Well, if we hear any snoring tonight, we want to assume it's one of our listeners or one of you guys. So uh, we'll just poke each other. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> so uh, good to be with you all tonight. Why don't we begin with a prayer and uh, we'll get right into our study. Please bow with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, thanking you for this wonderful opportunity to reach so many. As we discuss matters of your word, as we have for so long, you've blessed us in a way that has brought us together as uh, as friends and as gospel preachers that we can get to know one another and share this message with those that are not always in our areas, but we ask that you be with our viewers, no matter where they might be uh, this evening or whatever time of day and part of the world that they might be in, that they might be encouraged, uplifted, and to be able to make application of these good studies from your word to their lives. And so please um, bless them, encourage them, and help us to help them if there's uh, anything that they might need spiritually uh, that we can help them find brethren in their area, uh, people to worship with and give praise, honor, and glory to your name. So may we use this format to do just that. Be with us this evening and give us wisdom and knowledge as we search your scriptures. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark Dunnigan, I'll let you lead us off on our study. So we're in chapter eight and welcome to all the, the listeners in the audience. Glad that you're with us. So let's walk through chapter eight. And then we got some things that we want to talk about. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? Man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps the royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. There is no discharge in time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I've seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. 
So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out of the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did this. This to his vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who obey here, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Therefore, there is futility which is done on earth, that is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this to his futility. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry, and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task which has been done on earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, I saw every work of God. I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Chris, we got the first question up there. What are we going to be looking at tonight? And I thought this was something that would be a good to ponder a little bit before we move on to our second question. And that is, why, why should we obey the laws of land? After all, are not are they not, at the end of the day, just man-made laws? Gentlemen, your thoughts on that. Well, Romans chapter 13 says that uh, we should pay taxes. We should obey those who of God for the good, the common good of mankind. Now, that doesn't mean everything government does is good. It just means that they have a position of authority and they're, they're at least control the measure of the wickedness that goes on in the land. And sometimes they let things go too, and it uh, becomes worse for even the good people. But fear uh he says honor the king uh so why should we of course god says so also the land the governing authorities because that's ultimately uh on the earth for a temporary purpose but We've got an eternal thing in, in view, so let's take advantage of obeying God, and then that will work out. Well, Terry, I want to just interrupt you there for a second because uh, you're cutting up on us quite a bit. Um, I'd say about a um, <clears throat> maybe three-fourths of what you said actually came through. I think we got the basic gist of it all, but just so you're aware you're cutting up uh, a little bit. Uh, or cutting out, not cutting out, but I mean, you're being very serious. But <laughs> so maybe that'll clear up. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to uh, take a chance and see how that is. Uh, Mark Gibson, what are some of your thoughts? Well, uh, along with what Terry said, uh, even here in our text, it says in verse two, I counsel you keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. It's not because every ruler on earth is deserving. Uh, many of them are despots. Many of them are uh, wicked. And uh, But the point here is, regardless, we've made an oath to God. And that's because uh, Terry is referencing Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, to be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, it is because we are first subject to God. And then... He has commanded us to be subject to the governing authorities, which he has uh, given the right to rule. I also uh, look at what Paul said in uh, writing to Titus, Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. He told him there on the island of Crete to remind the brethren 
to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. And uh, the point to be made there is that we can't be ready to be good workers of the Lord and good examples to others if we are in defiance of authority here on earth. <clears throat> How can we bring men to the authority of God when we don't respect uh, civil authority here on this earth? They're not going. They're going to see the uh, the problem with that. Therefore, we need to always be subject to the authorities, as long, of course, as it does not interfere with our uh, our subjection to God. Peter told the Jewish Sanhedrin, which he knew and uh, did not dispute their authority, but he said on one point in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. And that's when they were commanding him to stop doing what he knew that the Lord had commanded them to do, and as that is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And that included Jerusalem and preaching things they didn't like. But he said, we've got to obey God. But when it doesn't conflict, we're to do that. And the point there in Ecclesiastes is that that's going to make our life easier. Even with an un uncivil ruler, uh, it would be better to just be subject and be obedient rather than to be in defiance. And I think that's the point in verse three, do not be hasty to go from his presence. And I think that's the point of defiance. Uh, I don't want to be around you. I'm going to resist you uh, because I don't like what you're doing. Well, there's a lot of things, and Terry noted it, a lot of things that we disagree with our own government and would disagree with other governments. But if it's not in defiance of God's will, it would be better for us to just see, be subject to the civil authorities that will make a life a lot easier for us and everybody. That's my thoughts. Those are good thoughts there, you guys. I, I'm just impressed. First uh, Peter chapter 2, 1 and 2, it's the idea that we may lead a quiet life, that we could do productive work. And yeah, they're, they're human laws, but often human laws are the outgrowth of a divine principle. And oftentimes they're for our good and safety, as Wayne noted. And also they create efficiency. I just think of certain things like if everyone respects the stop sign, and if everyone respects the rules of the road, like green light, go, red light, stop, um, it's very efficient. You know, I mean, even in places that are congested, Chris, that if everyone's following the rules of the road, it's amazing how quickly we can get to work and et cetera. Man, you go to Africa or places like that where there's not respect for the rules on the road and it's a quagmire and nothing gets done. Um, respect for common courtesy uh for a currency respect for um you know the, the the things have been put into place and i think mark had a good comment there i think there's a warning here about getting involved in anarchy or revolution like oh i'm dissatisfied so let's throw let's overthrow this sort of situation here and it's like man um don't underestimate the value of an orderly government where you're able to get your work done, especially you're able to get spiritual work done. You're able to evangelize and things like that. If you're spending all your time looking for food, pretty hard to get some spiritual work done. Chris, did you have any comments on that? Oh, yeah, there's a lot that could be said. Uh, the majority of it's already been said, but it does make me think about the fact that without uh, government in place, I mean, we wouldn't feel protected in our own homes. Uh, and as you pointed out, there are places in the world that do not have many of the conveniences of life and, and that we do here, the, the feeling of protection. Um, you know, we just don't live willy nilly. I mean, there's still crime out there. Why? Because someone's breaking the rules. Um, every time I hear a siren or anything, pretty much it's either one or two things. It's an accident. Somebody's life is in danger. Somebody's broke the rules. And, uh, we tend to frown upon those that, that break the rules. We complain at the same time that there's too many rules. <laughs> uh, we don't want our lives being, uh, guided by, you know, every single moment of every, every single day and ended up costing us more and more in taxes and all these kind of things. And then people just find reasons to complain about things that one have nothing to do with godliness. Uh, you know, two, just basically as Mark already pointed out, shows that if we're going to say that we have respect for the authority of God, 
then we also need to show that in other avenues of our, our excuse me, of our lives. Uh, you know, respect for authority begins in the home. If a child does not respect their mother and father, how can we take their word for it when they talk about how much they love God and want to go to church? Uh, what about the man that, you know, speeds and puts other people's lives in danger to get to the church building? I always kind of joke as we're driving to church on a Sunday morning and somebody blows me away on the highway and um, I'm like, boy, they must be get in a rush to get to church, you know, and more than likely, I, I don't think that's the case. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely goes back to first Peter chapter, uh, you know, two and in verses 13 through about 17. There's a lot there. I'm not going to read it all. But when he talks about the will of God, he's talking about the fact that, you know, those that rule over us are for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. Do they do it perfect every time? Uh, you know, no, but we are to respect the office. Uh, we are to respect the organization. Um, and as I pointed out, these things begin first a lot of times in in the home, in life, uh, before people even think about coming to God. And if they haven't built that kind of respect uh, toward an institution that God has created, then they're probably not going to respect the other institutions that God has created as well. This gets back to marriage. You know, marriage was the first institution, if you think about it, that God actually created on this earth when he joined man and woman together. And what's going on in our world today? Uh, we see a blatant, blatant disregard toward these godly institutions. So everything should connect godly. We should look at everything through godly eyes and that God has done all these things for the protection of his people. I think about Paul going to Rome. Um, a lot of the brethren didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem because they said, you're going to be bound, you're going to be persecuted. But he knew from God, I need to get to Rome. And through various events that took place through the governing authorities and appealing to Caesar, Paul eventually was able to make it Rome, you know, as a prisoner for two years. He received people to teach and to preach the gospel of God and good work of the Lord was being done. And so God uses uh, the governments of the land to carry out his will, not always in the way that that, uh, you know, we uh, would deem them the way we want them. But are they for God's will? And uh, so that's good. You know, just remember that when you're out there enjoying the blessings of this life. Terry, I think you had one more comment before we get to our next question. Yeah, I was looking at the next verses. After making the point that um, so I'm sorry, Terry, you're breaking up a lot. I haven't heard a word uh, that you've been able to say. Uh, how about the rest of you guys? How are you hearing him? Okay. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, you're breaking up. You might have to restart your internet or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll bow. I'll come back a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you in a bit then. All right. Sorry about that. We always look forward to uh, what Terry has to add to the show. So hopefully uh, we can get that internet problem straightened out. Chris, Mark? what's our next question there? And we'll, uh, it's going to be off of verse one. Oh, Mark Gibson, by the way, on my phone, I just got an invite to the Strawberry Festival this Saturday. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go. see. We'll see. We'll, 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 see. we'll, we'll, we'll The internet we'll is going. listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Go and, go and I enjoy. didn't know. I didn't know it was that easy. <laughs> Ask and you will receive. Okay. How does wisdom help us with having a cheerful perspective? That verse one is really wonderful. A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. But gentlemen, uh, let's comment upon that a little bit. There, any uh, to kind of flush them things out. There, any kind of practical applications do you have of that or how that works. Well, I would say walking in wisdom certainly uh, makes a clear conscience and a good conscience. And that certainly would uh, contribute to happiness in life, knowing that you're not being a hip hypocrite in front of others. You're walking according to the wisdom that you have gained. You have done what you need to do to gain that wisdom. And you are living according to what you believe to be right. And if it is God's will, you know, it's right. And that certainly can take away the sternness of one's face and give one a cheerful uh, disposition that 
certainly would help others. We, we are gentle with others. We are kind with others. We are giving with others. Those who live a life of double-mindedness that James talks about that we need to avoid to where we may think we may know one way that's right, but yet live in a way that is not in harmony with that, that doesn't contribute to a happy disposition. Usually we are feeling guilty. Uh, we are hoping others don't find out. And therefore, we're not being very, usually living very gentle and kind to others because we're not living with a clear conscience and with a good conscience. Paul said that he lived with a good conscience all his life, even when he was persecuting Christians. Uh, I don't know if he did that with a smile, but he did that at least feeling that he was doing what God wanted him to do. And when he found out he wasn't, he was an honest man, honest enough man to change his ways immediately. And therefore, he said, I live with I live in all good conscience in this life. He did what he always knew to be at that point in time, what was right. And uh, certainly, I think that's what's saying here. It certainly will make our face shine and other people will notice yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good observation that there's probably no one more miserable than the person who knows they're not living the way they should, that they're not living up to what they could be doing. I mean, that that's a pretty miserable existence. And there's so many applications too, Chris, of like when you're wise in your marriage, you know, when you're wise in your parenting, when you're not burning your bridges, when you're wise in the things that you say to other people, when you're wise with your money, uh, when you're wise with your time, um, that that all comes back. That all comes back uh, as a blessing. Uh, you don't have, you, obviously everyone has problems, but there's a number of problems that you avoid when you have wisdom. Your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, the same thing. I mean, when you make the applications of those things in your life, a wise man is not always the perfect man. He's not the man that's a know-it-all or knows everything. Uh, but we are talking about the great knowledge of God here. And when you abide by that and you put your trust in a greater, especially spiritual thing like God's wisdom, uh, you have more of a confidence. There are a lot of people in the world today that that just don't know. Am I going to heaven? Am I right in God's eyes? Uh, how does God look upon me? Uh, the wise man knows the answer to those things, uh, especially when he's not defiling the word of God and trying to fight against it. We can live with the confidence. Now, on the other hand, I know a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. So, you know, out of arrogance, out of uh, the idea that, you know, they can do whatever they want in this life. And this chapter actually talks about the wicked that does whatever he wants. He has no uh, guide in his own life. He seeks happiness from this world. And you know what? He might achieve happiness for a time, but he's not going to take it with him. That's pointed out several times throughout this chapter that in the end, the wicked are not going to prosper. And everything they have in this life, as we like to say, uh, they're not going to take it with them. But when you have confidence in the truth, you have like what Paul did, you know, a boldness to proclaim it. Uh, which is what he prayed for. And I, I think about the comparison of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter uh, 8, where before when he's reading Isaiah, um, he couldn't quite understand what those events were about. Of. And uh, when Philip asked him that question, well, you know, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I let someone guide me? He went up to the chariot. He preached Jesus to him. And in preaching Jesus, he revealed to him all the things about following Christ, the kingdom of God, belief in Jesus' name, and of course, baptism into Christ. And it was the eunuch who, with this newfound knowledge, said, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And he baptized him, and it says he went on his way rejoicing. I love the aspect of that lesson, that here's a man with a smile on his face. You know, here's a man with a newfound confidence of salvation in the Lord. He, he doesn't know everything at this point, but he's going to learn. Um, and, um, you know, his, his, his face from being confused and unknowing and ignorant of what God would have him do has now been revealed. It's like the light bulb that goes off on the top of your head, you know, that just that revelation, which is why Jesus uses that analogy to be a light that shines in a dark place and that others may see our good works and give God the glory. 
And I think ultimately that's that's what a wise man does. He takes uh, he has great joy in giving God the glory. Chris, those are good thoughts there. You know, I mean, there, there's the wisdom that you get from God's word that says God loves you. Jesus died for you. This is God's world. Life is not meaningless. Um, you can understand the truth. You can actually live a godly life. You can overcome temptation. You don't, you, you don't have to be a slave all your life to your worst impulses. You can be the best version of yourself. You can have a great marriage. Um, you can actually have happiness here. And man, there's so many incentives that you could see how, I, I don't know, Chris, if you didn't believe in God and just felt that at the end of the day, there's no justice and evil people do things and they're never caught. And when you die, they're going to put you in a box and you'll be forgotten. Man, that doesn't put a smile on my face. And there's a very simple verse over in chapter 10, verse um, 10. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of given success. We would say what? Use the right tool. Right? Use the right tool. And how, how many times, like, the older I get, like, before I even start that, I'm going to go and get the ladder. I'm going to get the right ladder. I'm going to get the right tool. I'm going to put on my work clothes. I'm going to get some gloves on and I'm going to put on my glasses or whatever, because we've all, we probably young, young and dumb. How many young and dumb did we take that, take that dole axe and whack away at that log and just wear ourselves out and not make any progress at all and make a mess rather than anything constructive. Just like, and, and here's one of the things on wisdom, Chris. To, to the audience out there, and this is free tonight. You buy a product, okay? And you're putting it together, you know, and it comes with instructions. The people that design that product know how the product goes together. And so men out there, women out there, don't buy something and look at the instructions and go like, eh, I think I know how this thing goes to better than the people that actually designed it. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. They did know what they were doing. That's exactly how people treat the Bible, it seems like. That great instruction book, uh, yet uh, they have all these pieces left over. <laughs> they don't know what they go to. And they're wondering, why is my life falling apart? You know, And then they blame God. You know, And that, that, that's, that's a shame. That's it a shame. reminds me of what one gentleman, a good Christian man who's a deacon in a congregation, in this community, uh, he was saying his friend whose children have all gone uh, so worldly and uh, so even lost a son to suicide. He said, your two children are such good. They have wonderful families. How did you do it? He said, I just followed the instruction manual. I just followed what God said. It's as simple as that. And people can't seem to understand. And that's what you were getting at, Chris. Uh, people can't just seem to understand that God's way is the best. You see people on these programs and their lives are a mess and they're telling Jerry Springer about it or somebody else about all their terrible lives. And you wonder how in the world did they get into a mess that they got into? Well, they didn't walk in wisdom. And that's what we're talking about here. And I was thinking the book of Ecclesiastes and this chapter so many times talks about things we can't control in life. He talks about there in verse six, the misery of man increases greatly. Verse 9, there's one man rules over another to his own hurt. Verse 14, uh, you know, to the righteous man, it happens as to the work of the wicked. There's a lot of injustices in life, and there's no way that you and I uh, can fix all that. Um, so what do we do? Well, like we are saying, we need to do like the wise man and fix ourselves. We need to have a smile on our face, brighten the corners that we live in, be a help to others. And that's the best we can do. Now, you get all wrapped up in all the things you can't control. You'll go crazy trying to uh, trying to figure out uh, why can't we? Why can't this and that? Well, there's just some things God's going to have to handle. You just handle what you can handle, and that's probably pretty much who the one you see in the mirror and the people that are around you in life. That's the best you can do. Just deal with that. Yeah, there's a lot of things out there that 
outside our control. But Mark, you made a good point is that there are actually things that there's actually things that we can do and fix the world. The world's always been a mess, but at least when we can create a little garden of Eden where we're at in, in our part of the world, Chris, what's the, what's the next question that we have up here. And this chapter does talk about some limitations um, concerning ourselves and some limitations that we need to come to terms with. No man has authority to restrain the wind or authority over the day of death. No discharged in the time of war. The, don't, don't start. You can't, you can't start a war and say, oh, uh, this isn't any fun anymore. I'm opting out, you know. I mean, I think the warning there is that, Chris, there are certain things if you start it, you just can't back out at, at, at a certain moment. And, and and there's there's kind of some other things here in this chapter. So, gentlemen, I'd like to – this chapter talks about some things like, hey, hate to tell you, but on some of these things, you really don't have any control. And so how do we come to terms yeah. with that? Well, a few minutes ago, we talked about government, you know, and respect toward the government authority that God puts into place. Yet how many times do we sit here and look at the TV and say, well, this is what the president should do. This is what our, our governor should do. This is what our mayor should do. And um, I can't say that I, you know, agree with everything that's going on in our government, but there are a lot of things in this world that I don't have the knowledge or the power to understand. And um, whereas I might think one thing's a good idea, uh, the powers that be might think something else. So what I'm getting at here is like in verse four, uh, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? And, you know, I have to remember my place sometimes that one, I'm not in power. I don't have the authority to make the decisions or the calls that they do. Um, I have to use the wisdom of God and sometimes my own judgment. I see brethren in disagreement all the time over government things. And I would hope that we're not in disagreement over the moral things, especially the things of godliness. But there are just day to day things that people get up in arms about and so upset about that uh, are under the power of a different uh, you know, of a more powerful entity, uh, a king, which you are not. <laughs> And there's a reason it's like just going to work. You know, there's a lot of people that complain about the management. They always think that they can do it better than the management. And, um, you know, they can go to management and suggest their ideas and certainly make improvements uh, if they if the management feels necessary. But there's a reason that that person is in charge. And in a, you know, a perfect circumstance, it would be because they earned it. They have some knowledge. They, you know, they know their job. Uh, let's not presume, uh, you know, to, to know that job. I need to know my limitations and come to terms with that and, um, you know, live within, you know, my, in my, my place. Um, another thing too, that comes to mind, what verse three points out and several other passages is that, you know, the evil people only please themselves. They only live for themselves. They don't respect that authority that we talked about a few moments ago. Uh, as you pointed out, Mark, you know, we don't know what happens. Verse seven, uh, when it comes to life and death, we prepare, we plan, we do the best that we can. We don't sit here and incessantly worry about things that are beyond our control. At least we shouldn't because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. There might be joy. There might be happiness. There might be sadness. How will we deal with any of those things? We need to deal with them godly. And uh, understand that, as already pointed out, we have no control over debt. Um, but we do have um, an opportunity to make things right with God, knowing that when those things are done, we have a choice. And to be blatant about it, it's eternal condemnation or home in heaven with God. The wicked, they seal their fate by the way that they live uh, in this life. And so how are we going to live now? And will it be in respect? And will it be with godliness so that we can look forward to, once again, I believe, serving God for all eternity? Because if you're not going to serve God humbly while you're here in this life, then maybe heaven's not the place you want to be. Good points, Chris. Uh, along with that, just 
we should not be surprised that we have to deal with injustice in this world, that we have to deal with misery and suffering in this world. Of course, even our own Lord said, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4 that uh, don't think it's some strange thing uh, that suffering comes upon you. We live in a world racked by sin, by injustice, by evil, and therefore it's going to be full of a lot of things we don't like and we'd like to fix. But you, you read the New Testament, you don't see Paul railing about the Roman government and uh, ripping one for Nero, the, the, the emperor, and how much he disagrees with him and wish there was another one. He barely mentions them, he just, and he only mentions the civil authorities in the context of our relationship to them and what it should be. He doesn't give any political commentary on it. So sometimes I think we get <clears throat> as much commentary as we give on it. We're, <laughs> uh, we're far more than... You might say, well, what Paul, I'm sure, talked about it, you know, off topic. He may have, but when it came down to the important things, it's it's a matter of you and I and what we are ourselves in the face of this world that we live in. And we can't fix everything. We just have to be the kind of people we need to be to please God and to bring a light to a perverse, a perverse generation. And the only thing that will fix it is more and more preaching of the gospel in season and out of season. So, yeah, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. So there's very little that we can do about some things. But all we can do is be the kind of people God wants us to be. I see Terry back. Yeah, let's see if it works. Are you all hearing me now? Yes, so far. (laughs) Well, we've got the limitations that... uh, because wisdom isn't, uh, so it's not the same as God's wisdom. It, we, we can't see everything. We can see how to manage our responses and choose wisely to manage our response to what's happening to us in life. But we can't manage. And so you can't predict how government is going to, to respond to you for doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. If you do the wrong thing, they may, they may uh, punish you or they may not. Uh, so you can't predict what they're going to do. Uh, so you can't depend on government entirely to make life and manage life on the earth the way we'd like it to go. But we can our responses to what's happening to us. And I think that's the good thing about wisdom. It's kind of like James says in James chapter one, and James is an, a book of wisdom. It says, instead of, uh, you know, bad things happen to you and you're going to pout about it and it's going to make you miserable. Why don't you think of this as an opportunity to see how your durability is going? Is your patience in this trial? Is it advancing or is it your opportunity to, uh, to advance your own spiritual depth and your own commitment? Is it a chance to look at your relationship to God and say, God, am I, am I uh, letting the world beat me down or am I letting your word pick me up? And Paul told the Ephesian elders, it's able, it's able to build you up, but uh, are you wise enough to take advantage of it? Happening in your life. So wisdom doesn't, you know, we can't predict what government is going to do, how they're going, how well they're going to do or how horrible they're going to be doing things that, any given time, but you can respect it. And that will make your life a little better, at least on the inside. And you can uh, manage your responses. That's what wisdom calls upon us to do. Manage how you deal with things, manage uh, how to be thankful, manage, uh, you know, how you look at uh, what's happening to you. Uh, Let it destroy you. Let it beat you down or you can let it be, uh, be an opportunity to get stronger in, in the Lord. So uh, there are limitations, but we've got to come to terms with the fact God has given us enough to know how to deal with whatever, whatever we're having to deal with. Yeah, that's, 
the one freedom, the one freedom no one can ever take from you is your choice of how you respond to things, your attitude, the, the choice of your attitude. Um, that's the one thing that nobody can ever take from you. And, and I, you know, this section is interesting because it, it's like you can't control the weather. And basically, you have no authority over the day of your death. Or, I mean, when death is knocking, you can't stop it. And once a war starts, once a war starts, you just can't say, time out, time out. Um, man, keep, keep that in mind before you get into an argument. Keep that in mind before you start burning a bridge. Keep that in mind before you go nuclear with loved ones, you know. Uh, just can't do this. Just can't do this. Uh, there's also, it looks, looks like, Chris, there's a couple other limitations there is that I think in verse 10, you can't control what people think in the sense of people sometimes get it wrong. The, 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 they're, they're in communities, there might be wicked people that were hypocrites and they'd, they did horrible things, but when they die, everyone forgets about it. Or we've probably all been to the funeral and we wondered, is that is this the funeral for that person? <laughs> because it's like it doesn't it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like that person. The other one I see is 17. I think for 17 might be a warning that it's good to be educated and do research, but education and research can't figure everything out. Uh, th th there are certain things that scripture is what you need for that. And even then, Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us the secret things belong to God. Uh, there are certain things that you can research to death and you're never going to get to the bottom of that. But I think the good news is that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, that all the essential, needful information that we need, we have, and we can understand in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, I like but, that one more question or one more aspect of that, too. You know, yeah. When I look at verses 11 and 12, I, I see the same kind of problem that a lot of people are dealing with today, wondering, why do the wicked prosper? That is a common question asked by so many. Uh, you can go back to lessons on Job and the lessons go on and on in regard to, uh, and I, I think in a nutshell, verses 11 and 12, I'll just read it again. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, Yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. One of my takeaways from this, besides the obvious, I think, uh, and not only about the, the pronouncement of ju judgment upon the evil and the good upon the, uh, the righteous, is that don't give up on justice. Um, you know, maybe watch or hear on the news, uh, you know, a case where they have been trying to find someone that committed a crime and maybe took the life of a loved one, you know, 20 years ago, and they, they finally caught up with them. And there were, one of the stories that you'll hear from people is that, well, we never gave up hope uh, that, that justice would, you know, would, would come. Or, or those that have been, I heard a story yesterday about one that was wrongly convicted, spent 30 years in prison. And, um, you know, he never gave up hope that justice would, would come, and he was eventually released. Um, and so a lot of people give up hope on God because they're not maybe getting the answer to their prayers that they want right now. Uh, they're not getting justice against evil right now. Remember that right now is not judgment upon the world. The day of judgment will be judgment upon the world. And there's going to be evil that takes place. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to endure and see while we're here in this life. Do, don't give up on God because of what men do. Don't give up on God because some things take a little bit of time for us to figure out. God knows the answer to all of these things. And, and sometimes he's trying to point us in the right direction and we're just not listening. And so, you know, let, let's take a cue from what God would have us do. And start following, as uh, Mark uh, Gibson, you said a few moments ago when you held your Bible and said, I, I just I just did this. I, I know that that sounds, I don't know, it sounds ignorant to a lot of people to just say, just trust in God. But, you know, where else are you going to begin? 
try living without trusting God. I encourage people to pray to God and they say, well, God is, you know, he didn't give me what I wanted last time. Well, you know, well, if you don't pray to him, he sure isn't going to give you what you want this time either. And so think about what your life would be like without prayer to God. That's all I'll say about that. Chris, we have one question left there. Um, and you you kind of talked about it there, the writer's perspective on the whole idea of deterrence as being part of the purpose of punishment because justice is not exercised quickly. Um, Mark and I are in Florida and Florida just executed someone recently in the last few days. And but but it but it was for a murder he committed in 1990. That, that was quite a long and it's interesting the policemen that arrested him that worked on the case are now old men like me you know and i, I know that there's something that, that there's something about the fact that it took so long it's it's decades and decades and decades that the culture doesn't kite the culture doesn't get the lesson you know in fact many of the people that were around at that time are no longer with us and 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 it's hard to connect the dots it's hard to connect the dots when someone murders somebody and it's 30 or 40 years later that the actual death sentence is carried out hard to, hard to keep the dots connected on things like that but gentlemen do you have any other observations with this first or anything else in the chapter as we round out the show tonight i would like to make a quick comment about that uh, deterrence factor it was ordained that got, that uh, whoever shed man's blood, you go back to Genesis chapter nine, the flood, uh, God imposed and said that this is the what you're gonna have to do in order to control evil, uh, is that if, you, if someone shed somebody's blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. God imposed, and it is designed, it's uh, ideally in an ideal world, uh, there would be no crime, there would be no murder. But since we're not in an ideal world, we're in a world where murder takes place, it exasperates the, the entire community to see murderers go free over and over and over again and nobody's being punished. Nobody's being executed. And they're letting letting prisoners out. And uh, and so the writer's perspective here is that yes, it would be better if if the sentence was executed. The sentence of uh, of capital punishment was executed more more quickly. Uh, but there is some wisdom in not uh, not being too hasty in that too. And so. Uh, I, I just want us to observe that God put the sword in the hand of governments to take care of this, that we can't take it into our own hands. We are not vigilant. We do not enforce some kind of vigilante justice system because we're impatient with a government, uh, government uh, holding that uh, as their, their, their own right. But God gave them that right. And so the writer's perspective is, yes, it would be it would be better if it was executed speedily and people would be more fearful and more hesitant to carry out uh, murder and other crimes if they if they saw a reason to fear the government. And much of there's very little reason to fear the government. It looks like in some cases they may even uh, uh, assist the evil rather than the good. And that's when we've got to be wise enough to, uh, to recognize, Hey, there's very little to nothing I can do about that. Uh, except in a, maybe in a democracy where I can vote somebody out, but, uh, that's very little we can do, but control our emotions and our responses to things. Those are thoughts that I, I thought needed to be injected there. Good point there, Terry. Uh, you know, you, I talk to policemen, detectives, or whatever, and, and they just say the criminals, the criminals instantly know the law or what the laws are or, or what laws are being enforced. They instantly know that. They instantly know what the police are told to uh, let up on and, and back off on and et cetera. 
and and they're only emboldened they were like hey soft target soft target Here, here's a place that they're not going to bother me that the criminals are very up on government and policing policies in a city or in a state they're they're very in tune with that mark gibson you got some thoughts uh, sort of like Chris was saying earlier, I sort of see this more as a general statement of just the pro- how wickedness seems to rule a lot of places. And it, there's just nothing that seems to be done, especially God himself in doing it. It's sort of like somebody going out, you know, and they'll do something that's questionable. And, and if you uh, if you object, they'll say, well, l- let lightning strike me if it's if God didn't like that. And when nothing happens, they just sort of give you a sly smile like, ah, you know, but see, it, it was I, nothing's going to happen. And in view, especially verse 12, though, a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged. It sounds like Asaph in Psalm 73, where. He talked about a crisis of faith because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. People that are wicked. He, he, after describing their, you know, their great lives and and all the prosperity they had, he said, "These are the wicked. They increase in riches. Their days are prolonged." And he said, "What what profit is for me to be faithful to God?" And he said, "I he said I almost lost my faith." But then he said, I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood that God has set them in slippery places. God's going to deal with them. And that's where we were talking about patience. And, 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 uh, and we, we were noting that we need to give God time to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And just because it looks like somebody's going to get away or the, or the sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, know that it will be well with those who fear God who fear before him. And the opposite's true of the sinner. The sinner will meet his judgment. He'll stand before God. And all the riches in life aren't going to mean anything. It doesn't matter if he lived 100, 200 years. That's not going to mean anything. He's going to stand in judgment and be condemned for the sins that he may have thought he got away with. But he did not get away with it. And so maybe, maybe, maybe the I see sort of verse 11 as well. You know, you know they're not judged immediately. Uh, they're going to stand before God ultimately. So people think they can get away with their sins, but the idea is they can't and they won't. And just know that's true. I like that, Mark, because the writer, the writer does, the, the Holy Spirit or the writer does check himself and says, you know, you're going to see some short-term add more now uh, you're going to see some short-term things that seem not to fit but i i know this i'm convinced of this P- and i love new American standard has i know it's going to go well with people that fear god openly i like that who are not secret believers who are very public in their faith i know it's going to be well with them and i also know that yeah mr sinner out here who looks like looks like they're getting away with something looks like that they brought some comfort and ease to their life that, that passage, as you noted in Psalm 73, what a horrible place to be in to not be right with God and life be comfortable and be on a slippery slope and, in a, and all of a sudden, boom, the hammer falls and you can't stop it. Um, there's a lot of people like that in our world. Chris, you got any thoughts? Well, I think about the comparison to... Um you know, gaining things in this life through an evil way or a godly way. I think it's somewhere in Proverbs. I wish I could remember where it talks about the sinner that just, you know, runs to evil and he just works really hard at it. And I'm thinking if people would work hard at doing righteousness and goodness, uh, they'll be successful in this life and they'll feel good about it. Uh, you know, you think the thief that steals to give a, a gift to his child. Well, are you going to feel good about that, really, uh, when your conscience knows that you've always you, you did wrong to obtain that? Um, you know, what did you do to obtain the things that you have in this life? Can you give God thanks for those things? Uh, I've watched people before sacrifice their relationship with God so they could have a job and say, well, I, I've got to work on Sundays and I'm going to make that overtime so I can feed my family. You know, who are you praying to when you feed your family and you sit around that table? 
with all the love and the warmth of all that you've provided, are you giving God thanks for those things? And uh, seek success with God. Uh, you'll feel good about it. You'll thank God for it. You'll lay treasure in heaven. And you got something to show for it. And, and I think that that's so important. When I look at verse 15, the writer says, So I commanded or commended enjoyment, because a man is nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. There's enjoying life with God under the sun. Otherwise, who are you going to give thanks to? And you pat yourself on the back and the pride that you might have for the work that you've done and all that you've created, or maybe what you've taken from others. I don't know. I was thinking about during some of the comments you make, um, I, I like a good heist movie. <laughs> you know, I think they're interesting. I like mission impossible kind of stuff, but you think about people that constantly they, they'll watch these murder mysteries and ultimately everyone thinks they can get away with the crime. That's the goal in these television shows and such getting away with the crime. And it's like, it's almost like the, the authorities, the cops, they have to put their minds mindset into the mind of the criminal in order to know where they're going and what they're doing so they can, you know, catch the bad guy at the end of the day. But, a lot of them, especially where they're portrayed, it ruins them. It hurts them. It hurts their, their mentality. And, and they see the sadness in the world and not the joy. Uh, evil does not bring joy in this life for anybody, for the bad, nor for the good. And as it says about God, it grieves his heart. When you look at God uh, you know, destroying this world with the flood, he looked upon man's wickedness and it grieved his heart. So what's your choice tonight? Do you want to grieve the heart of God by the way that you're living or take the things that the deterrence here, the consequences for our actions and let those help you make the right choices in life. I read a statement the other day and it's, it's kind of offensive to some, but I'll just go ahead and say it since it's on my mind. You know, the idea behind it is sometimes there's not a reason for the things that happen in this life. Sometimes the reason is just you're stupid and you make bad choices. <laughs> and that's said in a joking way, but boy, I can relate to that. <laughs> and sometimes we just need to do it smarter. We need to do it better, but most importantly, we need to do it godly. Any other thoughts before we close our program tonight, guys? I appreciate the gentleman being on the show tonight and taking the time and to the audience out there, to the people that tuned in to take a look at this chapter and and for the dedication of the men here who are willing to put in the time of of their very busy schedule and their teaching and preaching and everything going on, but take the time to kind of uh, share their thoughts on this very important book. Good show tonight, Chris. Appreciate you putting the questions together for us and taking us through the chapter. We look forward to getting into chapter nine. So uh, folks that are listening, uh, review chapter eight, keep uh, learning lessons from it. Listen to the program again and uh, then get into chapter nine before the week is up and be ready to join us next week for our continued study in Ecclesiastes. Terry, good to have you back. I'm glad we got to your internet kind of worked out for the most part. There were still a few hiccups, but uh, sounded good. And Mark, always good to have you with us and look forward if uh, Lord wills to be with you next week. Don't forget tomorrow. If you are uh, not busy around noon time, Eastern standard time, join us for the live Bible Q and a, uh, we'll probably have a few more fellows on here and Brian Garlock will be back to host the show. And uh, if you have a question, go ahead and send it to uh, questions at answering religious questions at answering religious That's the best way to reach us. So send that email with any Bible questions that you might have, and we'll add it to the lineup. Share that information with other people to go to Facebook and YouTube and watch our show from there. Also, remember that after the show's air, you'll be able to hear this program and others on uh, our ARE podcast. Just go to your favorite podcast platform. It might be Spotify or Apple or something else and tell it to play uh, Answering Religious Error. And with that in mind, start your day with the Daily Answer podcast. It's every weekday beginning as early as 5 a.m. Eastern time. But you can listen to Mark Dunnigan uh, any, at any point. We're well over 100 shows by now. 
and uh, there's a lot of great information. I'm I'm a little backlogged myself. I've got to go back and catch up uh, with all the information that Mark is sharing with us on a daily basis. So remember, Monday through Friday, you got something to encourage you. But we also want to encourage you to listen to some other uh, folks. Uh, of course, Bob Myhan wasn't with us tonight. Uh, he, he put a couple of comments in the chat, but he has this program, Bob's Bible Basics, and he takes us through uh, a lot of different topics. He's talking about how to identify a Christian. And uh, so go back and listen to Monday night's program every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, you can find them on Facebook and YouTube. And then on Thursdays, if you're a woman uh, looking for faith, maybe you are a woman of faith, want to strengthen your faith or be encouraged, join older women likewise as uh, they take you through God's word from the perspective of a woman and her work in the kingdom. So we thank them for their efforts every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We thank you for joining us for another study in Ecclesiastes, and we hope that you'll join us again next time. So until then, we um, ask that God be with you in your search for his truth, and we'll see you right here on Answering Religious Error.